Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't, but I'm handling it. And one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. Well, everybody, I don't know about you, but this month has just flown by. 2024 in general is really starting to pass by to me, and it has me so perplexed. And I think because I was down and out last month in January with the stomach bug, I never really got to talk about New Year's resolutions on here. And I have to share that the one thing I set out to do this year was read more, and here I am, end of February, and I have been doing it. (laughs) I've got my Goodreads account up, my goals are set on there, and there's nothing I love more now on the weekends than going to local bookshops in my area to pick up new books, read them, and then check them off my list. And one book I read recently that has had such a lasting impact on me is the memoir, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, by author Molly Stillman, which is available on the 26th of March to purchase. Now, Molly Stillman is a writer, a speaker, and host of the podcast, Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? And I am so thrilled to share that she's joining us for today's episode to chat about If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, and what writing the memoir meant to her. Now guys, I have read a decent amount of memoirs and I cannot tell you how much I loved this one. Not having known Molly's story before coming across the memoir, I can't tell you how much I resonated with it. In If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, Molly shares the story of losing her mother to a rare autoimmune disorder, how she ended up rocked by debt after spending a quarter of a million dollar inheritance, her career struggles, and then her journey out of that hole and into a life of faith and hope. It focuses on navigating through loss and pain, but then also finding joy and love. And I was immediately moved by Molly's vulnerability in this memoir and just so quickly connected to her humor. This book, it's an emotional read. Yes, there are sad bits, but there's also laugh out loud funny bits. And I simply just can't wait for you to hear more from Molly because I think there's so much in her story that so many of you will be able to relate to. And I do want to share a trigger warning that this episode does touch on topics like depression and suicide, so please be mindful of that. Overall, it was an absolute privilege hearing Molly's story and being able to converse with her though, and I hope you enjoy learning about her as much as I did. So with that said, let's get into it. You know what to do, turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. So Molly, I am just so thrilled to have you on. Like I said, I I genuinely just am am so happy to bring you onto the podcast to just chat more about your story and to hear more about just the journey you've been on. You know, I read your memoir. I I absolutely loved it. I read it in like two, three days and I couldn't put it down. And I I just so enjoyed learning about your story and kind of the, the beautiful things you've experienced but also the tougher things you've endured mm-hmm. and um, you know how that really brought you to where you are today. So uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. And, and like I was telling you before we started recording, uh, it's, it is a very surreal, wild experience to start to have conversations with people who are reading the book because it is so personal and it is 
you know, I'm just airing it all. And so <laughs> all of a sudden it's this realization that, oh yeah, these things that I've been writing for two years are now uh, in the hands of of real people <laughs> who are reading it. So it feels very vulnerable. I've I've likened it to um, like heading to town to uh, Times Square in New York City and just like stripping down naked and standing in the middle and going, hey, everybody, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> that's what this feels like. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah. I mean, what we said before, like writing a memoir, I mean, it's a really, I mean, I assume intimate experience. You're sharing your life. You're sharing a lot of details of your story and then putting that out there into the world. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of, you know, people everywhere being able to read it, I was, I mean, I have it here with me, but I was like reading it on the tube the other day, uh, the other day. And I, I had love somebody it. like, oh my gosh, my, my book is in the UK. This is so fun. The, it's in the UK. And I did, I was like holding it out, you know, just standing, reading, minding my own business. And I saw like a, a woman trying to like look around the corner to try and see the cover. And I just wanted to be like, yes, go, go read this. Um, yes, yes we got to get all those people buying it in the UK. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, I just, before we jump into the memoir and just more about every, all the little details you shared in the book, I'd love if you just wouldn't mind, you know, kind of just introing yourself for people. Like you do a ton, you have a podcast, you got a blog, you write, um, and not to mention just, you know, a family, a farm, like you've got it all going on. So um, just, yeah, if you wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit more about you and introing people to you and your work. Yes. So I am a wife to John and a mom to Lily and Amos here on earth and Elijah and Malachi in heaven. And um, we live on a small farm in North Carolina, central North Carolina, and we raise goats and dirt turkeys and chickens and ducks and guineas and geese. Uh, we have barn cats and a farm dog. And um, let's just say like it's never quiet around here, um, but we wouldn't have it any other way. Um, oh, and we have bees, too. Um, and um, I have been in the kind of the, the writing and content creation space for nearly 20 years, which uh, when I really sit and think about it, makes me feel very old. <laughs> um, even though I don't f- feel like I'm old, like I feel like I'm very young and hip. And um, oh yeah, but then I go to wear like wide leg jeans, like all the 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 pop, you know, the the cool kids are doing these days. And that's <laughs> I'm like, no, nope, I'm keeping my side part, my mini, my uh, skinny jeans. So that's where I am. Um, but yeah, so I started a blog, uh, nearly two decades ago and uh, I was before even people knew what a blog was, but I had a professor in college who had told me that the only way to get better as a writer was to write. And so that's what I did. And so it, uh, I'm thankful that the archive button exists. And so a lot of that early writing does not uh, exist for public consumption anymore. (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I've been writing. I, I left my day job in 2015 to to do the blog full time. Um, and then I started my podcast in the summer of 2016. So I've been doing that for seven and a half years now. And I get the honor to serve um, churches and, and um, speak at conferences and things like that uh, occasionally. And yeah, and then now uh, this, you know, over a decade long dream of writing a book uh, is finally here and it feels really, really exciting and terrifying and surreal. 
And um, I just love that I get to um, wake up every day and and create. And also, you know, I as I sit here recording this, I'm watching my goats uh, in my front yard uh, just eat the random <laughs> last bits of grass. Everything is dead because it's, you know, the dead of winter right now. And the goats are just like trying to find literally anything to eat. We feed them hay too, but, um, you know, we'd also free range them. So that's my life, uh, in a nutshell. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I love it. I'm really grateful. Amazing. All the goats in glory. I love that. Like what a different backdrop to what I have. Like I got that's trains and <laughs> no. I know it's very quiet and also loud at the same time. Like, if you know what I mean, like it's not the sounds of the city. It is the sounds of nature, but, yeah. <laughs> but lots and lots of nature. sounds. It's a lot going on, but um, yeah, no, I, I just, I think hearing you talk a little bit more about kind of your, um, you know, work in the, the media communications phase, I feel like that was instantly uh, how I connected to kind of you and your story, um, especially reading, you know, all that you shared uh, in the book is that, um, you know, I think just your your journey with with writing creatively and just being more like outspoken about certain topics you're passionate about and um, also just comedy in general, like your aspirations to go uh, work on SNL yes. and kind of pursue a career in comedy. Like I loved that. And I related to that so much. Like my big old dream when I was young was to, you know, go to school in New York and I wanted to, to go be a writer in New York. And initially what started as like very um, like fashion magazine, like Carrie Bradshaw kind of New York <laughs> <laughs> tackling the city, um, then realistically took shape, but I did end up in New York and then entered into the media space. Um, but I think that's, I, I so instantly connected to your story, um, you know, through that kind of lens. Um, so I think given that was then writing a book and, and, you know, sharing kind of your story in the public space, was that something that you had always been kind of toying with? Um, so, I mean, I had always wanted to write a book. That was um, something that I had dreamed of doing for a very long time. My mom was a writer. And so that was, you know, I think that was in my blood. And just even as a kid, I was always writing something, writing some story. And I have so many clear, vivid memories of even childhood and kind of my tween years, like writing stories and 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 you know, I put books in air quotes um, that I was like, maybe I can get this published, even though I'm sure whatever it was, was just terrible. But I, I, I had this dream. And of course, as I got older and then I got into college and, and was writing more and more, I knew that writing and publishing a book was something I wanted to do. But I'll be honest, at that point, I didn't know at all what it might look like or what it would even be about. I mean, I think maybe in my my head I would spit around ideas, but nothing ever manifested from any of that. And then, um, but within the last 10 to 12 years, maybe even 10 to 14 years, um, you know, after I got saved, after I got out of debt and um, my life pretty, pretty, drastically uh changed i think the the seed of the book really began to um to be planted within me and that was it was just it was supposed to be my story um 
And, but at the same time, like, I was like, I don't want people to be bored by this. <laughs> like, I don't want people to be, um, you know, and I, and I was like, I didn't, I didn't want it to just be too. I didn't want it to be a book that was just like about me. Cause at the end of the day, like, it's not, it is my story, but it is all, it's also not my story. Like it's God's story. And it is all of our collective stories. Like if we, if we have the opportunity to live long enough, um, you know, the reality is, is like, we're all going to face pain and, and suffering and sorrow and joy and grief and celebration. And, um, we're all going to experience the highs and the lows of life. And, um, that's the beauty of life. And so that's really like what I ultimately realized that the book was about was it was helping others to see purpose in their pain and to see, um, their story that can be redeemed no matter how painful and broken it might be. Um, but just kind of through the lens of me sharing my own story and sharing my own gunk and <laughs> messy stuff. Um, cause I mean, I, I, as you know, like I get pretty raw, <laughs> um, in this book and I, I don't hold a whole lot back. Um, and I, I did that really intentionally because I figured, figured, you know, sometimes, um, in life we just need somebody else to go first and to say, Hey, like, here's my stuff. Um, and it gives us a safe space to say, yeah, me too. Um, and so that was, that was kind of the, you know, the long, that's the long answer to kind of this seed of an idea from childhood all the way into realizing as an adult, like, oh, there's actually something here. And, um, but from start to finish, like I started the book proposal for this book in the summer of 2017. Um, and then, uh, it obviously shifted and changed and evolved. Um, and then I didn't, actually submit it to publishers until the spring of 2022. So by the time it comes out, it'll be, you know, five, six, seven, eight years really of working on this book in particular. So it was a very long, long, long process. Definitely. And I mean, congratulations on that, but of course. And I, I, I think hearing you talk about sort of you know, the book, it's your story, but it's collectively other people's stories. I so related to that. And I think that's why I really love memoirs in general. Um, Maybe call it like nosiness or inquisitiveness, but I think there's- I say that too. Yes. (laughs) I love learning. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love fictional, you know, historical fiction books as well, but I love something about memoirs. Um, I think it's, interesting to read books about either people whose stories you already know going into it, or obviously like people's stories you're not fully aware of, where in this case to learn so much about you and your life was, was inspirational in a sense to your point that you made. You go through so much that collectively, universally, so many others are going through too, whether that be grief, whether that be hitting just rock bottom and, you know, to put it bluntly, and getting yourself, propelling yourself forward in life. And I think all of that, um, it's it's a huge reason why I love reading memoirs, because I think you can, you know, find this sense of like, you're not alone, you know, mm-hmm. that you can, that there's somebody else going through something really similar. Um, and I think there's something really beautiful about that within the genre um, that I just, I, I think it makes it so different from like any other you know, reading out there. It's just a really personal experience to, to read someone's story and then to connect with it and, you know, whatever that way may be. Yeah. I, yeah. Memoir is my favorite genre too. I also love historical fiction. So I, I mean, those are 
two of, I mean, I read everything. I love to, to read, obviously I'm surrounded by books. Um, so reading, you know, I love romance, all those kinds of things. The only thing I think I probably don't read is horror. I don't love like real scary stuff. <laughs> I don't, I like to be able to sleep. Um, but, um, but memoir in particular is, is my favorite genre and has been for a really long time. And I was trying to think back to when I really fell in love with the genre. And, you know, I mean, of course, when you're in school, like you will read autobiographies and things like that about people that you have to like write a paper on. But I read a book and I, I think it was in college and it was um, The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls. Yes. And then, of course, the movie came out, um, you know, within the last 10 years or so. Um, but that was, I think, the first memoir that really was like the gateway for me to reading memoir. And um, and it was just because I just felt this. You know, when you read a novel or historical fiction book, like you, you fall in love with a particular character, you identify with a particular character. But at the end of the day, like this person's not real. Whereas like when you when you read a memoir and if there's something about that person's story, whether you relate to it or not, like you're rooting for that person or you're you're just like, what is going to happen? And then at the end of the day, you realize, like, oh, my gosh, this is a real story like this really happened, whether it's, you know, wild and crazy or you know, just something really interesting. Um, and yeah, like you said, it just, it, it, it humanizes us. It, it connects us to one another and helps us feel less alone. Yeah. Well, and I mean, speaking of, so I, I want to talk about the book and I think like now's the perfect time to dive in. So <laughs> to go through the full title, um, if I don't laugh, I'll cry how death debt and comedy led to a life of faith farming and forgetting what I came into this room for, which is, I relate. Um, and it's got this cute, <laughs> little picture of you on it. And it's, um, like I said, I, I, I genuinely really, really enjoyed this book. Um, and, and just hearing about your story, you know, you talk about a lot of different things. And I think firstly, I'd love to talk about, because you just mentioned it not uh, too long ago, um, your mother's story. Mm -hmm. And in the book you dive into, uh, not not just your relationship with your parents, but um, you know the journey that your mother uh, went through with just you know being a, a nurse in Vietnam, um, and then also you know coming back to the states, her her battle with PTSD, and then of course her her um, battle with an autoimmune disorder mm -hmm. um, due to exposure to Agent Orange, which I found so fascinating. To I, I mean I come from a military family. My dad was in the military um, and he's since uh, retired. But um, I, I think highlighting sort of her experience, especially as a woman um, in the in the military uh, and her experience in Vietnam, um, I just found was very powerful. And, and learning about her memoir that, you know, she wrote and, and her journey as a writer, uh, it, it was so kind of beautiful to see that comparison to you and, and you know, how you both found your voice um and and writing memoirs and sharing your stories. Um if you wouldn't mind just I I'd love to know sort of how that experience with like I said seeing your mother kind of tell her tell her story, be brave and 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 facing criticism because I I know back then it wasn't easy. Um how did that kind of shape and influence you as you prepared to tell yours? Yeah, it shaped and it influenced me in just about every way. Um, you know, I, she was for sure a force to be reckoned with. 
Um, and uh, like you said, you know, she came back, you know, just in general. I mean, when she first returned home from serving in the Vietnam War, um, you know, there were she couldn't get resources because she would show up to the VA and people at the VA would say, oh, but there weren't women in Vietnam. Um, so the the lack of even acknowledgement of the fact that women were there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's I mean, it's it's a rough estimate. Nobody actually really knows the exact number, um, but they say about 11000 women served in Vietnam, which is just, you know, such a small percentage compared to um, the number of of American men who served. And so, you know, when she came back, she really had to fight tooth and nail to get any kind of recognition, any kind of support. I mean, it took decades, decades. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the Vietnam Women's Memorial, which was erected in D.C. and was in 1993. So it was, you know, 23 years after she returned home from Vietnam. And so, uh, you know, it's it's a when I as I was growing up and I watched her just fight tooth and nail for the the rights um of women veterans to the uh, for women veterans to even get the access to some of the same resources as men and treatment options and medical uh you know uh, facilities and all kinds of things i mean it's just you know it was astonishing um and then when she released her memoir home before morning in 1983 it was the very first non-fiction account of the war from the perspective of a woman and immediately it became i mean it was a best-selling book but immediately it became uh incredibly divisive and it was either people were would say oh yes like this is this is the honest truth this is the real this is what happened this is what we faced this is what we experienced this is the brutality of it this is the raw nature of it um you know linda tell, tells the story honestly and and truthfully and yada 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 and so you have these people in in this camp over here and then you had people in another camp who basically denied everything that she wrote in the book and said oh she's just trying to make money. She's just trying to sensationalize this. This wasn't like what Vietnam was like at all. And, um, you know, she's painting nurses in a bad light and um, all these kinds of things, which was just obviously hogwash. Mm-hmm. And and it was because, again, at the time, this just it just wasn't talked about. And so, um, I mean, they dragged her name through the mud. Um, you know, she was having to go on Larry King Live and, you know, 60 Minutes and um, the New York Times and San Francisco Chronicle and the Washington Post, like all these major to defend herself and debate these mm-hmm. people. And um, I mean, it cost, you know, my parents, uh, it, I mean, it nearly bankrupted them. And right. trying and legal to... fees and, and all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and so I mean, there's obviously so much more to it. And um, I mean, I was a baby at the time, but even as I was getting older and and I, it was still really ongoing. Um, I was born in 85. Her book came out in, um, 83 and kind of all of this was going down kind of from 85 to about 92, 93, 94. So really, I mean, as I'm growing up, so, I mean, I'm surrounded by this. I mean, my mom took me with her to congressional hearings. And so I would see her testify in front of Congress and, and all these kinds of things. And at the time, like I wasn't conscious of, of really the, 
uh, what's the word historicity <laughs> like, uh-huh. uh, of this of of the historical nature of what she was doing mm-hmm. and 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 how groundbreaking it was. Um, and it really wasn't until other people started pointing it out to me. And I remember even um when she died, um, I really started to uh to take it in. I mean, I would get letters from Colin Powell, John Kerry, um, you know, some of these these, you know, kind of pillars in American history who would send send us letters and just say like your mother was a trailblazer and like she you know um you, like you really have no idea the impact that she had on just veterans in general but women veterans like um there's a lot of people who will say that women veterans today in general you know whatever branch of the military that they are serving in have access to um you know, the, the resources they have access to because of women like my mom, Mm -hmm. um, Diane Carlson Evans and Joan Fury and some of these other kind of women who really just stood up and said, we were there and, and we're gonna, um, and we're gonna stand up for it. And so, um, you know, and, and at the end of the day, like in the face of that adversity and in the face of this, uh, vitriol that was just spewed at her, um, she stood firm she never wavered and it was difficult on her. Obviously it was difficult on our family. Um, and I remember seeing her cry and, and just, you know, want to throw in the towel, but she never did. And she was like, no, this is the truth. This is my story. And whether people want to, um, face it or not, um, is not my choice. It's not, it's not up to me. And so, um, and so, yeah, so I, I, at the end of the day, like, uh, I'm not trailblazing anything. Um, I am not, uh, you know, but I, I, I do say that, um, my, my goal and my hope and my prayer and, and things that I've just taken, um, you know, I've done other things in life that, you know, I didn't even talk about in the book that, um, you know, that I've tried to just stand up for what is right and what, and what I believe and, um, in the face of, of adversity or, or pushback or whatever it is. Um, and that a hundred percent has, um, been influenced by her. And, um, and then as far as, you know, at the end of the day, like there are pretty messy, ugly parts of this story and uh, of my book. And, um, you know, I've been pretty afraid, um, of certain parts of it. Um, you know, I've changed names (laughs) to to hopefully like protect (laughs) other people and, and protect myself. But, um, at the end of the day, it is my story. And, and my, my goal and my job is just to be faithful um, and to to tell it as honestly as I can, um, even the ugly and messy parts. And um, yeah, so I, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> it does. It does. And um, yeah, I, w- I was really, I mean, aging myself kind of, and <laughs> I am a 98 baby. So uh, you know, when, when you just, <laughs> when you discussed, uh, you know, your mom's memoir home before morning, which I'm going to be linking as well, uh, when this episode releases, um, I not being aware of her, of her memoir and her story, I really enjoyed, you know, learning about that mm-hmm. in the book, but also through your, like experiencing all that, as you said, through your lens. Um, but I was really happy you shared about that. Cause I'm hoping, um, that it will like allow the book to resurface and her story to resurface because I think I'm so excited to read it first of all um, because I think still in the military while we've made strides in certain areas I still think there's so much more work that can be done I mean even just speaking from uh, not to speak for him but I, I just know I've had conversations with my own father about it you know when he retired it really I mean 
going to the VA, like any therapy, those concepts were not really something that was spoken about the people that vets sought out, um, you know, following, it wasn't really normalized to do that. Um, where I think now it's a little more normalized. I know I've had, um, you know, vets and former members of the armed forces on the podcast who have talked about that, which is there's wonderful platforms and organizations out there, but I still think that there is so much more work to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, helping people uh post post combat and 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 veterans helping them as they kind of return back to civilian life yeah. um but i so i guess on the one part of it i so appreciate you know you sharing her story and and your kind of perspective with that but i also think in in terms of like uh you know when i asked you if you know that had kind of helped shape you when when writing the book Um, I think like you said, like, you know, you made a comment of like, you're not trailblazing, but I think reading about your story and just seeing, I think you share this with your mother, this tenacity, this tenaciousness for, you know, putting, putting your, making your voice heard. I mean, whether it just be like career wise with, uh, you doing your one woman play and I, I, I just, I (laughs) saw your one woman show and just, I so enjoyed like seeing those sides of you because you just seem like such a force and I try and be that way in life um but it's 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 a hard thing to do um mm. to really just you know put yourself out there to be loud and outspoken and um I think it's just a wonderful characteristic and something that I feel like you you know you definitely got from her 100 <laughs> percent thank you for saying that that really means a lot of course, of course. Um, and, and, you know, also, I mean, there's so much more you talk about uh, in the book, but the one other thing I wanted to to uh, highlight is the journey that you also open up and share about in the book of uh, your personal experience with debt, which mm-hmm. kudos to you for sharing that because I feel like that's, it's still, at least I think, um, like like debt finances money in general is such a taboo in american culture to talk about yeah um and i so appreciate you you know opening up literally just <laughs> not caring and just sharing that yeah. that story um so for for those who don't know if you wouldn't mind just giving like a spark notes recap of how you came to inherit a good chunk of change. Um, and then your experience and, and, and kind of getting in this hole, um, uh, of of debt. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the short version is, um, my estranged grandmother, my mom's mom, um, had died in 2004 and like for perspective, I, I hadn't known that she had died. So like, that's the kind of like a strange relationship and it's no fault of, of my grandmother, but kind of of my mom's family in general. And, um, the, uh, on my 21st birthday, it was like the second day of classes, my senior year of college. Um, I was, uh, in my office and I had a voicemail that said I needed to pick up and sign for a certified letter. And so I go and I pick up this certified letter and in it was a check for a quarter of a million dollars. And that is after taxes. Um, And so basically a quarter of a million dollars cash dropped into my lap um, on my, on my 21st birthday. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it is about as wild and crazy as you can imagine. And yes, uh, that is, it was a paper check. It's just one of those experiences that you're just like, I don't understand how this happened, but it did. Um, and, uh, the long story of how, like how I got it, uh, the short, short version is, um, it was a trust that was set up by my grandparents on my mom's side. And, uh, it was uh, some properties that were to be sold off when the last living grandparent had died. And then the proceeds would then be div divvied up five ways, one for each of my grandparents' children. Um, but if one of the children had passed, then it would go to the next eligible person, i.e. me. But that person had to be 21. So this had happened obviously in 2004, but then I got it on my 21st birthday. But because we had no relationship with my mom's family, uh, this was not on my radar in any way, shape or form. Like, of course I was, I mean, I kind of heard rumblings that like, maybe this would happen. Um, but I mean, one, I didn't know what it was Two, I had no idea like how much money it would be. And three, I had a hundred percent assumed that we had been written out of any kind of will because, you know, we had no relationship with these people. And, um, Turns out that that obviously wasn't the case. And so here I am uh, getting a quarter of a million dollars on my 21st birthday. And so what do emotionally stable, grieving, uh, mature 21-year-olds do with a windfall of cash? Uh, totally responsible things with them. Um, I do give myself some credit in that I gave some of it to my dad. I gave some of it to my sister. And I mm -hmm. did start a scholarship, um, yep. which does still exist today. You, yeah, you ha you had all the right intentions. I had good you know? intentions, of me, but that, you know, the road to hell is paved <laughs> with good intentions. Um, so I started off great. And then at the, but after that, I mean, I was kind of like, I mean, I'm thinking about a 401k and retirement and savings, like nothing like that. And so what did I do? I went and I spent it. I bought a $40,000 Jeep. And then I went on a first class trip to Rome for spring break with my boyfriend. And I flew us up to Philadelphia to take him to the Eagles Giants game. And you know what I mean? Like I just did stupid stuff. And it, at the time, in a lot of ways, like I, I was kind of doing it in this name of, oh, this is fun. But like when I really, the benefit and the gift of hindsight is like, as I look back, the reality is, is this was my coping mechanism because I didn't go to therapy. I wasn't getting counseling. I wasn't getting any kind of help. I mean, after my mom died, I, you know, I didn't talk about it. I didn't deal with it. And so, and I wasn't somebody who like drugs and alcohol were never an issue for me. I never done drugs, still haven't never, never done a drug before, um, you know, and, uh, and, I, you know, my parents were recovering alcoholics, so I kind of wanted to stay away from that. And so it just where some people, when they're grieving, they kind of go down that road. For me, it was the Band-Aid, the Fix-It, was reckless spending. <laughs> and, um, and it, because it was, it, it didn't feel on the surface like it was all that bad. Mm -hmm. Like on the surface, it was like, this is fine. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not hurting anyone. And um, it never, and because it was so much money, it never occurred to me to like, I don't know, budget, like look at my bank statement, <laughs> you know, it just, it just wasn't. And then, and then because I'm in college and I'm 21, you know, I go to the campus student union and you have capital one right there and they'll give you a free t-shirt. If you get a, you know, if you sign up for a credit card that all of a sudden has a $20,000 limit. So of course, like over time, I just 
it began, it be very quickly became uh, a death by a thousand cuts and it got out of control. And less than two years later, I found myself over $36,000 in consumer credit card debt. So not only had I spent every last dime that I had gotten, um, but I then was in the hole another $36,000. And at the time I was working as a high school English teacher making $30,000 a year. And so I was in more debt than I made in my annual salary. I couldn't make the minimum payments on my cards and I had a panic attack and I, um, I was, had suicidal thoughts and I, I had reached a point that I realized that like this, this quick fix, these, the, these band-aid moments for me, like I couldn't, I couldn't keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to end up in a very, very bad spot. And so that would, that kind of really began that, um, that season of, I, I hit that financial rock bottom and it took a couple more years for me to really hit the emotional and spiritual rock bottom piece. Um, but that really was, uh, the start of the downward to upward, uh, climb that I had to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the biggest thing I took away from your story is like, to your point, I mean, 21 years old, it, this is like one of my big bones to pick with, uh, I guess the educational system in the States is that, uh, I always say like these things, like this is the stuff we should be learning how to do in high school, 100%. like how, how to, how to manage your money, how to, mm-hmm. you know, balance a checkbook, like all, all these different things. Um, because I, I, I feel like, and, and just credit, like the difference between like good credit and, and, and all this stuff, I think, yeah. um, so many people I know these days, um, I, I, I find that I I've come across a lot of people who are, um, and now everybody's, I, I say this, um, but I would do want to preface like everybody's financial circumstances are different, right? But I find that um, with a lot of young people, there's a lot of young people living paycheck to paycheck. And I feel like in this economy right now, especially we're seeing uh, like so much more of that. Um, and I think it, it's a pity because you you think about like, how could we have avoided situations like this? And I think just like more, um, more awareness of you know, how, how to protect and manage your finances to begin with. I mean, I, it, it's right. so crucial. Um, so it's, I, I think in hearing your story, like one of the things, I mean, I know you call yourself out a lot, like of saying like there were silly purchases, sure. But like, who can blame you at some points because, uh, you know, you just don't know. Right. Um, and I, I, I do, I think there was, there was something really like humanizing about that experience. And then hearing you kind of just, I mean, share kind of just your history in spending during that point in your life. Mm. Um, but I think obviously also something really powerful about how you were able to kind of dig yourself out of that hole over time. You came up with a game plan. You had great people in your corner who were, um, you know, able to help you through it. Uh, I love that some of them were were people through the bank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like people on the phone. Yeah, like customer service reps that had no idea what they were getting into when they got my phone call. <laughs> I've, to be fair, I have had like teary eyed phone calls with customer service reps um, for <laughs> for situations like that where you're just like, whether it be, you know, 
you need to book a different flight because you've had a crazy <laughs> getting Expedia on the phone because um, oh. you've had a crazy change to a trip or whatever it may be. I yeah. mean, I've been there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I, there, like I said, I think the concept of finances and money in general is just like really taboo to talk about, but I love that you shared your experience with obviously getting into debt in the first place, but how you managed to get yourself out of it. Spoiler alert, you got yourself out of it. I did. Um, (laughs) But I guess in, in kind of, you know, sharing that story, um, like you said, you had a moment where eventually, um, you know, it took some time, uh, but you, you know, you experienced, you, you were saved in the sense that you found religion, you found a connection to Jesus. And you talk a lot about that as well. Um, I guess if you wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit about that journey, you know, you talk about your parents, um, you know, both grew up Catholic, um, you know, had their own sort of reasons for like leaving the church, doing things more, a little bit, not to say agnostically, but just kind of doing their own thing. Um, and then you kind of just, you know, grew up not really with like tied down to any sort of faith. Um, but then finding one kind of later in life. Um, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little about that experience and, and how that impacted you to, I mean, where you are today. Yeah. Well, I think a a lot of it at the end of the, you know, at the, at the foundation of it all is, you know, I grew up again. I mean, I grew up in a home with uh, amazing parents, super loving. Um, but yeah, like you said, like they had a very complicated relationship with the big C church in that, you know, they were, they grew up in very, very strict, um, Catholic, uh, families, uh, Catholic upbringings, you know, Catholic school, like, and you know, my dad was born in 44. My mom was born in 47. Like they were legitimately beaten physically by nuns in school growing up. So like, that's going to do some stuff to your psyche. Um, and, uh, you know, so for them, um, and they, you know, they later met in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and so for them, they, AA was their faith community and, and AA was, you know, actually founded by Christians. So it's, it's founded on a lot of, a lot of Christian pr- principles. Um, so for me, it was just, you know, and I don't fault my parents for that in any way, shape or form. It's just, it was the decision that they had made and that's, that's fine. Um, you know, but for me, like I had no foundation on which to place my life. I had no, um, I was searching for identity, you know, at the end of the day, you know, whoever, wherever people are listening, like, I don't know where you are in your own spiritual walk. Um, and I understand it. Like there are people say that I'm agnostic or I'm, a- I'm atheist or I'm, you know, whatever, but we can't deny all of us can't deny that we are spiritual beings. Like we are beings who are searching for identity in something searching for purpose. I mean, one of the most commonly searched things I think on the internet is like, what is the purpose of life? Like, what is the meaning of life? Like it's, it's this age old question that we are all asking ourselves and we are all fascinated with the universe and we're all fascinated by creation and like where we came from. And the reality is, is because like, that's, I mean, that's what I believe is how God, that's how God created us to be in search of, um, of our creator. And so we're, you know, but our hearts, if we don't have them fixed on, um, God, like our hearts are going to search for identity and purpose and meaning in something. And that's going to be, you know, the things of this world are things like money and fame and sex and power and politics and like culture. And just those are the things that can lure us in a TikTok and number followers on social media, like whatever it is. It's like where we find our identity and purpose and meaning. And the, the fact of the matter is like this is not opinion. This is fact 
the fact of the matter is, is all of those things will disappoint us. All of those things are fleeting. At the end of life, when we get on our deathbed, there is not a single person on their deathbed. I mean, if, if there is, if you are listening and you know somebody who on their deathbed, they said this, please send me an email. I would love to know. But I can tell you, I can pretty much guarantee you there's not a single person in this life that when they face death, they say to themselves, oh, I'm so glad that I put all of my time and effort and how many followers I had on Instagram. Like, I'm so glad that I spent all of my time chasing fame and success. Like, there's, it's just not, it's not, it, it is always going to disappoint us. It is always going to let us down. And so as I had gotten myself into this season of life where I was constantly chasing after fame and success and ident- identity and popularity and money because I was coping with this other thing that I had been dealing with, this grief, um, this pain, this suffering. Because, you know, you know, prior to my mom dying at 17, my senior year of high school, kind of a formative part of my life, mm-hmm. um, you know, prior to that, she had been dealing with this, uh, you know, terminal illness for eight years. And so the most formative years of my life, I have a, a, a chronically ill parent. Um, we're, we're dealing with you know, of course, the estrangement of my mother's family, which was really painful. We lost friends. We had, we lost we had lost everything, and um, so that was a you know <laughs> during those formative years, and then then her dying, and then just kind of shutting down. Uh, of course, I'm going to search for purpose and meaning and identity in something that's going to make me feel better because I don't want to deal with what is actually going on inside of me, and. Um, and so that that moment of when I hit that financial rock bottom and I realized like, oh, crap, like I have gotten myself into a pretty massive pit um, and it's going to be really painful to get out of this. It's going to hurt really bad. And I say this in the book, but and I, I, I had to reiterate it to myself all the time. It's like I didn't get into debt overnight. I didn't get into this mess overnight. So I'm not going to get out of it overnight. Um. But, you know, even along the way, like for the first two years of my debt journey, I was working four jobs, two jobs, seven days a week, you know, two two jobs a day, seven days mm-hmm. a week. Um, I was running myself ragged. I was in a toxic and an emotionally uh, abusive relationship. I was um, just seeking approval and... um and again, kind of that, again, that search for identity in, in something that was going to inevitably disappoint me. And, um, and so that was an additional, it was like, it was like, I had to go on this journey of hitting that, that financial rock bottom and then trying to get myself out of it, trying to pull myself up by non-existent bootstraps, so to speak, to get myself out of it. And when the reality is, is like, that wasn't going to work. <laughs> Because that was essentially what got me into trouble in the beginning was like trying to do things in my own strength. And um, and so by the spring of 2010, so I'd been on this journey of getting out of debt for two years. I was living in North Carolina. I had gotten out of this relationship mm-hmm. um, finally, but I'm still working four jobs. And I was just alone in every sense of the word. I lived alone. I didn't really have many friends. I had, I had a couple of friends, um, but I was working so much, not like I could really like hang out. 
um, you know, I, uh, I, I had desperately wanted to move to New York. I didn't have the money to do that. Like I, I just felt all of a sudden this moment of like, what am I doing? Like, what's my, why am I here? And I, I went to really dark places and I had many nights where I was lying in bed. And the only solution I felt like was to take my own life. And, um, and when you get to that point and you realize like you feel, cause again, at the, the other thing too, is like, nobody knew what I was going through. Like I had mm -hmm. kept this financial situation and all of this very, very, very quiet. And, um, I, you know, so I, uh, you know, I got to that point where I just realized I was like, I'm alone in every sense of the word. And, and there's what's the purpose of continuing to live? And when you get to that place, like you start to have some real serious conversations with. And at the time, like at the time, I it was with God, but I didn't know that. But I kind of was sitting there in my in my apartment just being like, what's the point? What's the mm -hmm. point? And, uh, you know, kind of fast forward. Obviously, there's a lot more to the story, but um, I, I had started kind of hanging out with, uh, seeing a guy that I worked with who spoiler alert is now my husband. Um, <laughs> and of course it was always one of those, like where uh, I didn't want a relationship. Like I had just gotten out of a relationship. It always happens when you don't want the relationship. Yeah. Um, but we hadn't put a label on it. So we were all good. And, um, I just noticed something different about him and he just had this confidence that wasn't like an arrogance. It was just like a, an assuredness of who he was. And, um, he wasn't shady. <laughs> he wasn't like, it was just, there was something about him that was just really vastly different. And I, I, I come to realize that, you know, he was a Christian and, um, and he had never tried to like evangelize me. He had never, I mean, nothing like, and he hadn't even invited me to church with him, but just one Sunday I said, can I go to church with you? And I, I kind of remember I, when I said that, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't want to step foot in a church right now. I'm not welcome there. And he was like, well, yeah, sure you can. And I went and that was the very first time I had ever heard the gospel. I had ever, um, I'd never really heard the gospel. I mean, I, I knew who Jesus was, but like I, if you had asked me prior to that, like, what is the gospel? I would have been like, I don't know, gospel music. I don't, like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. And, um, and I, it wasn't a moment where I like raised my hand and was like, I'm saved or anything like that. It was a moment of, oh, there's actually a God up in heaven who created me on purpose with a purpose and for a purpose, like who loves me and my, my life actually does matter and it is worthy of living. And I walked out of that church that day with this like glimmer of hope and a light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm not saying that like it was all fixed then, but, but hope, mm -hmm. hope is a powerful thing. And when you are hopeless, hope is a powerful thing. And so, um, I, I started going every Sunday after that and, uh, kind of the, the rest is history. Obviously there's a, there's a whole lot more to it, but, and it's not like, again, it's not like all, all of a sudden overnight life was easy and everything was great. And, um, but when you, when I, when I realized that there was, uh, I could build my life on the foundation of Christ, um, and, and it gave purpose and meaning to who I was and to think outside of myself and, and to look, um, to, to shift my gaze outward instead of inward at my own struggles, my own issues. I mean, that's for me when, when everything changed and, um, and I haven't looked back and I can tell you like without beyond a shadow of a doubt, the person that you are talking to today is a vastly different <laughs> night and day person <laughs> from that person who stepped foot through those doors, um, in September of 2010, vastly different. And it is only by the grace of God that that is the case <laughs> for sure. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think that's one of the things I so enjoyed hearing about your story is, I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, you, you kind of hit this pit, but then, you know, you come to the other side of it and you, you find, so you talk about purpose and I, I've had this conversation, I think with a few different people on the podcast in the past, but this, this idea of like God's purpose for you. Um, and I think, you know, I told you earlier, uh, I so instantly connected to you and your story. I mean, the whole, like wanting to be a writer and to tell stories. Like I always say, like my, my thing, I just, I just love telling stories no yeah. matter in, no matter what the medium, no matter in what capacity, I just love to tell mm-hmm. stories. And I think there's such a difference between like, that's your like professional purpose, like your vocational purpose. Um, and then there's, you know, there's your predestined, you know, godly purpose. Uh, and I think it's kind of going on a path of of navigating that. And, um, you know, there's there's things that you want to do, but then there's things you're supposed to do. And, and that's because of God and, and the purpose, uh, you know, that he sets out for you. And I just so enjoyed, um, you know, seeing and well, literally reading you kind of going through that journey, because um, yeah. I think it's a it's a it's a really big one, and it's I think um, for me like one of the most beautiful takeaways of the book is, yeah, just seeing you come out on the other side of that and and recognizing kind of that that you know God's purpose for you, um, and yeah, I, I just hope like if anything, yeah, people, people take, cause I don't think we always think about that. I think we have a lot of things that we want to do in life. I mean, you hear the joke of like, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I, I do, I think there's, you know, we have this like predestined purpose that, you know, we're supposed to fulfill and it's like, how can we kind of hone in on that and discover that? And I think you can do that a lot through faith, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, I just, I so enjoyed that. Um, and, and like I said, I think so many people, uh, kind of closing the gap on this whole book. I think so many people are going to enjoy reading this, this story. I mean, I instantly, it, it didn't take long to just like love you as a person. I think <laughs> I, I forget what exactly you were describing, but instead of, you know, writing nice, you, you said nice. And I was just like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just like, I love this gal. Like, she, you're so great, and you're 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 so likable. And um, I just I think your story is so relatable. And I just I genuinely this is why I love doing the podcast. I really do. I I love, you know, meeting new people, hearing their stories, and and to read your story was just a privilege. And I can't wait. I I think there's a plethora of people I can recommend this to. Um, so I can't wait for for other people to start reading it. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. Um, and I really love that you said that about the the noise thing, because <laughs> I was like, there were a couple of times where throughout the editing, I had an amazing editors, but there were a couple of times where like, they would be like, are you sure you want to do it this way? And I'm like, yes, this is how I want to do it. Like I wanted it to feel, I remember for years at writing on my blog, I would get messages from readers where they would say like, I love reading your blog because I feel like we're just having a conversation. Like I'm reading uh, my friend's diary, or I'm like, I'm, I'm feel like I'm talking with a friend. And that's what I wanted the voice of my book to be is like, just how I write and, and how I, and how I write is really kind of how I speak. Not that I'm walking around going noise all the time, but like, I just, I wanted it to feel fun. And, um, and f- for people that are listening, if, if you are like, I can't read a book, but I love an audiobook. I do voice. I read my own audiobook. So that's really fun. Um, and what was really fun about that is I got to, 
Um, like I tried to have fun with it. Um, the, the, one of the chapters that you referenced, um, about my one woman show, when I go through all of the different character descriptions in the audiobook, I do them in the character's voice that I did in the show. Um, and then there's a couple, uh, like references to songs in the book, um, that I actually sing on the audiobook. So I tried to like have some fun elements like that to make you really kind of feel like you're brought into the story. And so I'm really excited about that as well. That was a super fun process. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Well, no, I feel like I'm gonna have to give the audiobook a read because that's like an additional treat. I know. Yeah, uh, it was really, really fun to do. I had uh I had so much fun with it. So I, I keep telling you, I'm like, hey, if you if you like the sound of these vocal cords, they can <laughs> speak to you for seven and a half hours. I actually don't know how I ended up how long. It took me two full days to record it. So I have no idea how long the like final <laughs> copy is. But, <laughs> but anyway, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. And yeah, I mean, I, I can't wait. I'm going to be linking up all the information on how people can buy the yeah. book, um, you know, when this episode drops. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, I mean, now you're promoting this book. What else do you have on the horizon? Um, well, uh, you know, this is kind of the like all consuming thing in the short term. Um, but in, in a, in a good way, like, I don't say that in a like, oh gosh, I have to do this. No, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, and then kind of when I get through the, this season and, and doing a book tour, um, I plan on taking a very long nap. Um, I look forward to that. Uh, I love a nap. Um, and then, um, and spring on the farm is busy. So, um, you know, we're, we're already planting, uh, seedlings to go in our greenhouse that then will go in the garden. And, um, in every spring and every fall, we raise our own meat chickens. So we will have a batch of meat chickens that we'll be raising here in a month or two. And, um, so that's always, you know, a fun process. And then, uh, we have baby goats that'll be being born, like, I think our, our mamas do like right around the time my book comes out. So I'm kind of like hoping that maybe they'll be born the day the book comes out and they'll like have the same birthday as my book. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, and then we're hoping to do another honey harvest this summer. So there's never any shortage of things to do. Um, the farm is always there. There's projects ongoing at all times. We are also like our fun thing too, is we're putting in a pool, which is really fun. Mm. We have wanted to do that for a very long time. So we saved and saved and saved and it's finally happening. So I, I imagine a lot of summer days just hanging out by the pool and then feeding baby goats. So that's what I am. That's what I'm excited about right now, Catherine. <laughs> Amazing. Well, aren't you the busiest? My goodness. <laughs> it's all It's all good stuff. We're excited. And, and I'm just I'm really grateful. Really, really grateful. That's amazing. Well, and Molly, I always love to conclude by asking with this being handling it, do you have a piece of advice or a lesson you've learned throughout your life that's really helped you handle it? Oh man. Uh, I think the, maybe I, I, I would say, um, and I don't mean this to sound like I'm just like, well, Hey, you should read my book, but it's my book's called if I don't laugh, I'll cry. And the, that whole thing of like handling it is like, I am all about finding the humor and the joy, even in tough situations. Um, and uh, I I believe that life is too short. I'm not, I, of course, grieve and cry and feel all the feelings. But um, there's actually scientific evidence that that shows that laughter and smiling and joy uh, is healing. It's physically healing. Um, so anytime I have a bad day or I'm having a, a hard time, like, 
watching a funny video or pulling up a, my favorite stand-up comic or, you know, watching a classic episode of Arrested, Arrested Development or The Office or just like watching my children uh, play and be silly, like that is healing to me. And that really does help me handle it uh, at the end of the day. Because if I didn't have laughter, I don't know where I'd be. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, do I agree. Um, yes, I, I I completely agree. And I joke about this all the time because I'm from Scrant, like Scranton area, Pennsylvania. So I yes! watch. Yes. So I watch The Office pretty consistently um, and not just like it's now white noise in the background of like everything yeah. that I do. Yeah. But I just you love the humor. And it, so it's good. I think in a world where things can get very dark very fast because there's mm-hmm. a lot going on and sad times all around um, to to try and consistently look for that, to have that positive outlook on everything and, and, and to have like incorporate humor into the mix. I'm I'm all for it. Um, (laughs) but yeah, Molly, thank you so much for coming on. It was just such a privilege to meet you, to hear your story. And I cannot wait to be sharing all about this book online. Um, when this episode comes out, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor to be here. Okay. Everybody was I right? Or was I right? in that Molly is an absolute gem. Like I said earlier, her story is one that really stayed with me, and I hope it stays with you too. And if you'd like to pre-order her book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, a link in the episode description is listed below to do so, as well as a link to her mother's book that we referenced in the episode, Home Before Morning, which again is by Molly's mother, Linda. Thank you to the lovely and wonderful Molly Stillman so much for coming on, and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. I will see you next week, actually, with a brand new episode. But until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.